Hey, this is Ken, Capital Advantage Tutoring. Cat, see it. Um, my, it's my job to get you past all these exams, right? That's what I'm doing. That's what I do for a living. So t I've been working on the alphabet A through whatever's before S, Q, R, R, S. I couldn't think of it. So I'm going to do S now and then hopefully T after that. And then what would be after T? Maybe U and then, I don't know, V. I don't know. I'm kidding. I have no idea. So I'm going to start with the S's now. These are terms that you should know if you're going to be in the business or pass the exams. You should have at least a working knowledge of the terms that I'm going to go over. And if you think of any more, if you think of a term that's in this letter and you can't think of it, put it in the comment and I'll try to try to answer it. I'll go, oh, I don't know it. Maybe I don't know it. Okay, don't forget to say to the end because there's a little surprise. No, there's really no surprise. I'm just hoping you stay on to the end so you can actually give me some viewing time. I'm going to pretend that there's a surprise at the end. So actually, yes, get into this. So instead of me wasting a lot of time. So letter S, S is in Sam. This is going to really exacerbate the fact that I had to learn to get rid of my lisp in high school and before that. So before that high school, if I was in high school with a lisp, I think I would have got my ass kicked a little bit more than it did. It did get my ass kicked, but not as much as if I had a lisp. Okay. First thing we talk about is sales proceeds. Okay. Sales proceeds is when you sell something, right? When you sell something, there's cost basis when you buy it and sales proceeds when you sell it. So when you buy stock at 50 and sell it at 60, 50 is your cost basis, 60 is your proceeds, your sales proceeds, and that's and the, and the difference is your gain or loss. In this case, it would be a $10 gain. So also remember, if you buy a put or sell a call, your break-even is your sales proceeds. So again, if you buy a put or sell a call, your break-even is your sales proceeds. Okay, also safe harbor. So safe harbor is like it's a legal precedent. You're not guaranteed, but if you follow these guidelines of safe harbor, you will not sub be subject to legal action. So a couple of them are the two main ones that I think about on the test or in general is corporate buybacks. When companies buy back their stocks, they have certain the safe harbor so they don't get in trouble or accused of manipulating. Because think about it. If you're buying back your own stock, there's a chance you're going to push it up. So they make rules like you can't buy in the opening or at the end of the day, within the last 10 minutes or so, they say you can't buy more than 25% of the daily volume. You can't buy in straight plastics. You can't push the stock up. You can only bid where other people are bidding or where it's already traded. So those are the those are the safe harbor rules for corporate buybacks. The other one is for research. If you're going to do soft dollar, you can provide, as a broker dealer, you can do soft dollar, which is going to be in this vid, in this video. Soft dollars where you provide a service as a broker dealer and they pay you in the form of commissions. So the safe harbor rules are that's fine to do that as long as you limit it to what you're giving. You can't do hardware. You can't do rent. You can't pay the rent or salaries. But what you can pay under safe harbor rules are you can provide for research. You can provide for like access to a seminar and you can provide software to help them allocate or do trades and stuff like that. So seminars, research, and software you can provide. If you do that, you're under the safe harbor where you won't get in trouble if you provide those things. Obviously, you can provide more things than those three, but those are under safe harbor. So again, safe harbor is like a legal precedent where if you follow the rules, you will most likely, you will be safe from being sued. Sales load or sales charge, okay, same thing. Sales load is the amount you get charged. I prefer sales charge. Sales load sounds dirty. Sales charge is what you get charged for buying into a mutual fund. So if you buy into a mutual fund, you pay the NAV plus the sales charge equals the POP. The so sales charge of max is 8.5%, and they have breakpoints for stuff like that. We're not getting into it. We've talked about that before. So sales charge is what it costs to get into a mutual fund, and it's a max of 8.5%. Okay, S-Corporation. An S-Corporation is a pass-through entity, which means all the profits and losses pass through to the investors. My voice is disappearing. That sucks. Another S-word. 
And then what, here's the thing. So it passes through all the gains and losses. It's like a partnership in a way, but it has some rules. It has a rule that you can't have more than 100 shareholders in it. If it's more than 100, then it doesn't work. It passes through. And all the investors have to be U.S. residents and or human, or human beings. They can't be corporations. If they are, if they don't meet that, then it has to be taxed as a corporation where the actual corporation pays taxes, okay? So if they don't meet the 100 or less and the U.S. residents and um, or corporations, they can't have corporations. Think of it this way. They have to be U.S. resident human beings to be shareholders. If it's not that, they lose that protection and they have to become a corporation, a C-corp in a way, and they have to or be taxed as a C-corp and they pay, they pay taxes and then when they distribute, you pay taxes. So that would mean double taxation, which is not the purpose of these things. Okay, secondary market is where shit trades. Okay, there's a primary market, which is new issues. Then there's a secondary market where the stuff trades. And there's four markets in the secondary market. The, I'm not, not going to go deep into it. First market is the exchanges. Second market is over the counter. Third market, remember, anything on an exchange is listed. So third market is where listed shit that trades on an exchange actually trades over the counter. So third market is like an alternative trading system where stuff that trades on the stock exchange trades over the counter in addition to that. And then the fourth market is like ECNs and dark pools and it's way institutions can trade with each other. So that's the secondary market. Now a secondary offering, a secondary offering is when, like say Bill Gates owns a bunch of shares. Now we know what a primary offering is, Microsoft issuing shares. A secondary is where a shareholder, like a big shareholder, instead of selling under 144 rules and following those restrictions, they do a secondary where they make an offering. So an offering, a secondary offering is where an actual shareholder gets the money, not the company. The company will be a primary offering. When a shareholder, a big shareholder sells their shares in the offering, that would be a um, secondary offering. Okay, a section 457 plan is a non-qualified plan for like non for like government-y kind of things, for like if you work at a hospital or a charitable union, stuff like that. I guess not churches, but the point is, it's going to be, it's non-qualified, which means the money can come out before you're 59 and a half. So that's what it is. It's a section 457 plan. Since we're on these things, let's talk about a section 529. A section 529 is that college savings plan, right? So it's, it's basically, it's a municipal fund security covered by MSRB where you can put money aside for college and it goes in after tax, it grows tax deferred. And if you take it out for college, it's tax-free. Now, remember this. It's sponsored by the state. So if you're in Jersey and you buy a Pennsylvania one, you might actually pay state taxes on it because you bought it in another state. So the point is, if you buy one in your own state, you're probably pretty cool. But if you're going to buy one and uh, invest in one in a different state, or I shouldn't say buy one, invest in one or use one in a different state, there might be tax complications. So a 529 is a state-sponsored college save, or, or I guess college savings, but you can use a little bit for high school, but it's mostly for after high school college savings. That's if you open it up, you're the owner, you have your kids' names on it. And if you decide to take it away from your kids, you can, because you are the owner of the plan. The key is, just like a covered up, the money goes in after tax, grows tax deferred. And if you use it for education, it's tax-free withdrawal. A 529 ABLE plan is to support individuals with disabilities. You need to know that they must be disabled before they're, by the time they're 26 years old. The Securities Act of 1933 is all about issuing shares, non-exempt securities, and they have exemptions like Reg A, Reg D, stuff like that. That's what that's about. The SEC, the Securities Act of 1934, is about secondary market trading, manipulation, insiders, created the SEC, short selling, proxy rules, voting by mail. The exchanges and broker dealers had to register, reports, manipulation, 
and stabilization. Those are all things under, under the Securities Act of 1934. The Act of 1933 is for primary and new issues. The SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, I couldn't think of the fucking word. The Securities and Exchange Commission is a government entity. FINRA is not. FINRA is not a government entity. The NFA is not. That's the CFTC. So SEC is a government that regulates broker-dealers, agents, IAs, IIRs, and securities and exchanges. Anything to do with securities, maybe crypto at some point, but they regulate it. They're the ones who regulate it. And they use FINRA and, the, and, um, and CBOE and all these other DEAs to actually be their watchdogs for them. And then they come in at the end. So the SEC is, a, is the actual government overseeing all the anything to do with securities. Agents, IARs, broker-dealers, IAs, securities, and exchanges. So this one's a little out of order, but it's, it's, it is, but it's SIPC, S-I-P-C, Securities Investor Protection Corporation. It's there in case broker-dealers or anyone, the broker-dealers go bankrupt. Every broker-dealer pretty much has to be a member. So what they do is they guarantee, or they guarantee they reimburse if, you, if a broker deal goes bankrupt, not fraud, that'd be fidelity. If a broker deal goes bankrupt, they will cover up to $500,000 total per account, up to 250 can be cash, okay? So again, here's what happens, just per account. So if I, per person, I guess. So if I have a cash and a margin account, they combine them for the 500 grand. If I also have a joint account with my wife, that's an account. So if I have an account, I have a joint account and my wife has an account, that's 500 each, not 1.5 total, that's 500 for my accounts, 500 for the joints and 500 for her accounts or joints account. A Roth IRA is considered a fourth account, another one, keep that in mind. So they will cover up to half a million dollars of security, uh, half a million dollars of which, not in addition, of which 250 can be cash. So you have 300 cash in your account, it's only getting covered on 250. Sector rotation, that's a strategy, it's active. Remember, if you if I die right now, sector rotation is active. By the way, if I die, what do we do? Yes, we share the shit out of this, so I go viral as a last thing. So now, sector rotation, okay, is when you think, you think certain sectors of the economy will do better or worse depending on the business cycle. So maybe during economic boom, you would buy like retailers and stuff like that. And during um, maybe during a contraction, you'd buy more like pharmaceutical, healthcare, stuff like that. I guess healthcare, but like alcohol, food, stuff like that. Those are defensive securities. You would move it up and down based on what's happening in the economy. That's sector rotation. Now, a sector fund is a mutual fund whose investment objectives is focused on a specific sector. So they're riskier because they're less diversified. So what's a security? Well, literally anything the SEC says it is. But a security by the Howey definition, which is the Howey test, is an investment of money in a common enterprise with other people with risk or for profit managed by a third party. All four parts, I can't do this, all four parts, ports, parts, they're not shipping in a ship, it's a part, um, are going to be part of, uh, you have to have all four parts, I'm stuttering like a fool, to become a security. And they are regulated by the SEC unless they're exempt. And even then, even if they're exempt, if it's a security, it may be exempt, but it's still subject to anti-fraud rules. SRO or DEAs. SRO is self-regulatory organization. DEA is designated an examining authority. They're literally the same thing. That's like FINRA, MSRB, CBOE, NFA. They are they are regulating the, the members of broker-dealers and stuff like that under their charge on behalf of the SEC. The SEC will come in too, but they will send reports to the SEC. Um, so they're not, remember, they're non-governmental. SEC is government. FINRA, SROs are not. FINRA, CBOE, um, NFA are not government.
seller's option. So let's say I want to sell my stock, but I don't actually know when I'm going to have it to deliver. I can do a seller's option trade where I have up to pretty much 35 days. So I can't do it in T plus two. So I can deliver anytime between T plus three and T plus 35 at my discretion. I have to give the buyer a warning, a day's warning, but it's basically you're going to buy that knowing that I don't know when I'm actually going to sell it to deliver it. Okay. So I'm selling it now based on a price. You full well know that it's a seller's option that you're not getting it on T plus two, but it can be anywhere from T plus three to T plus 35. As long as I give you one day's warning, a secured bond is a bond that is backed by some sort of property or asset or something so that if it defaults, they, the trustee who's named on this will sell the asset to pay off the creditors. So like a mortgage bond is backed by property. It's not a mortgage backed security. It's a mortgage bond backed by property. They will sell the property if we default. A equipment bond is backed by equipment, trains, planes, shit like that, tractors. If I default, they will sell the tractors, trains, planes to pay the, 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 the default, the creditors. And then we have, what's the other one? I can't think of the other one. I know you're screaming it. I can't think of it. Collateral. A collateral trust certificate is another type of secured bond that's backed by a portfolio of securities of other companies, right? Like if I issued a, if I issued a bond that was backed by securities, and I use my own securities, that'd be dumb because bankrupt means it'd be a zero. So it's it's securities of another company. So that's a secured bond. It's backed by something else that they will sell if I default. Okay, selling away. What the hell is selling away? Selling away is when you work for a broker dealer and you either have an account somewhere else and you don't tell them and get written permission or you do securities transactions off the books and records of the broker dealer. So the one is if you don't have, if you have a brokerage account, not, with your broker dealer and you don't get permission, okay? That's one. And the other one is, is if say you're, whatever, say you're just starting out and one of your buddies comes up and said, hey, I got this new thing I want to do and I want you to help me get investors and I'll pay you for it. And you go, sure. If you do it without permission from the firm, that's what's selling away and it's a violation. If you do it with permission of the firm, it's just a private securities transaction and we're good to go. So to, selling away is when you do securities transactions off the record, off the books and records of the broker dealer without permission. If you get permission, it's a private securities transaction. Selling a dividend. Okay, so selling a dividend goes like this. We should know by now, and I'll talk about a video here if I ruin all, lose all my logs. Um, you know that if we buy the stock before the X day, we get the dividend. So rep representatives would or agents would or even IARs, depending on what test you're taking, will try to get you to buy the stock before the X date to get the dividend. We're selling the dividend to. We're using that as an advantage. That's a violation because there's no advantage to it. Because think about it. If you buy it before the X day, you pay a price and you're going to get like a 50 cent dividend. If you buy it in the X day, the price drops or the, the base price drops by the 50 cents. They actually take the dividend out of it. So it's literally like no difference. It's almost like when you go to buy a car and they go, oh, hey, there's a $2,000 rebate. You can either buy the car and then we'll give you a check for two grand or we'll just take two grand off the price of the car. It's the same thing. But the reason it's wrong is because you're actually trying on this dividend side, you're trying to sell them a thing that's not real. The other part of it is if they get the dividend, they pay taxes, remember? So if you get money, you're always paying taxes. So if you buy it on the X day, you're actually just paying a cheaper price and you're not paying taxes until way down the road. And hopefully it's a capital gains rate and not um, ordinary income, which would be a dividend. So again, selling a dividend is trying to convince a person to buy the shares before the X day to get the dividend. It is a violation. Okay, what's a sellout? It's like when Taylor Swift went from country to bubblegum pop. No, I'm kidding. So a sellout is when a customer fails to pay for a security in time and the broker dealer just sells the securities to pay for it. 
And then what happens a lot of times with that, you get your account frozen, which is not a big deal. It just means you have to pay for everything up front. Don't come at me for the Taylor Swift shit. What's a senior security? It's usually a security that's above common, okay? So a senior security has priority in liquidation and pay than the other one. So most of the time, like preferreds, bonds, unsecured bonds, secured bonds, or senior securities over common. So common is like the lowest one. It's the one we all like, but it's the lowest one. So anything above that is considered a senior security as opposed to a junior security, which is below. Like senior debt is high on the payout scale. It's going to be paid really early in the process. What's a separate account? Or I guess we can call it a sub account, right? A separate account is for variable annuities. It's where the money or the investments are held, where it's actually at risk, okay? It's separate from the life insurance's general account. So because this has risk. So when you hear the word separate account or sub account, always think that it's a um, it's for a variable annuity or variable life product. And it has market risk. So what's a settler? Well, that's the ones who went out west in the 1800s. Like, go west, young man. No, a settler is someone who kind of puts the money into a um, into a trust. Like, think grantor, think truster, settler, all the same thing. Okay, serial bond is a bond that has one issue, multiple maturity dates. A lot of GOs do that. And they're usually, if they're that way, they're quoted on a basis like a yield to maturity method. Series is multiple issue dates instead of multiple maturity dates. Series K preferred. They, what they do is they start with a fixed rate and then they go variable after the after like a certain amount of years, whether it's five or seven or 10 years. So it, it starts off as a fixed preferred. And then at some point in the future, it becomes variable and it loses its interest rate risk. Okay, sharp ratio. It determines whether you're getting enough reward for the risk you're taking. That's literally, am I getting enough reward for the risk I'm taking? But the way we figure it out is we take the return minus the risk-free rate, which is the 91-day T-bill, divided by standard deviation, which is risk or volatility. So we take the X, it's called risk premium, right? So we take the X, whatever you want to call over the risk-free rate. So we take the return minus the risk-free rate divided by standard deviation. That will tell us whether we're getting enough return for the actual risk we're taking, okay? You will not have to do the math on it. Just know that that's what it's about. What's a sharing arrangement? Basically how a partners will share the revenues and costs in a partnership. Simple. Short sales. Now, we should know this by now, but a short sale is when you sell shares you don't own, which sounds weird, right? So basically what you're going to do is, you're going to hear the word basically a million times. I knew that, right? So short sale is when you go, say you like you don't like IBM and you know I have it. So you come to me and say, Ken, can, you, can I borrow 100 shares of IBM? So I lend it to you. I lend it to you. You then go sell it in the market at 50 bucks. You have your $5,000. You hope it drops in price to like 40. You buy it back for the 4,000. You leave 1,000 in profit and you give them my shares back. So short selling is when you borrow shares, you have to borrow them and then you have to sell them and then hopefully buy them back at a lower price. The risk is that it goes up. Like if you watch GameStop or the new movie, Dumb Money, I think they talk about that. You have almost unlimited risk. You have unlimited risk, but that's not really a thing. It's just in theory. So there's no limit to how high the stock can go and you will eventually have to buy it back. On that note, short interest is every twice a month, all the broker dealers re uh, report to all of their short positions, whether theirs or the customers, every time. Every twice a month, I think on the 15th and the 30th, that was me. Who knows? It could be the 12th and the 18th. I have no idea. So they report it to FINRA, and then FINRA puts out what they call a short interest report, showing the percentages of short positions in each security. Not who has it, but the total positions. And if you see a lot of short positions, it could be a bad thing. But if you see very high short interest or really fast rising, that's actually bullish because the more people are shorting it, the more people have to buy it, okay? So eventually you have to buy it back, 
So what's going to happen is it's going to might drive the price up. So short interest is the amount of shares short. It's percentage of the outstanding that's held that's short. I don't say held short. It's short um, of a stock. If you see a very high, short interest theory is the theory that if the shorts go up too high, the short percentage is too high, then it's actually a bullish thing. Like with GameStop, again, think about it. It was 136% short. That means that 136% of all the outstanding shares were short, which again means that more shares were short than were actually outstanding, which is not supposed to happen. And that's why the stock ran to like 600 bucks. Okay, short-term capital gain or loss is a short-term gain or loss that's 12, that's 12 months or less. If you hold the security for 12 months or less, it's a short-term capital gain. Also, remember, short sales are always short-term. So if you have a short position, no matter how long that thing sits open, even if it's two years, it is going to be a short-term capital loss or gain because short sales are always short-term. A simple trust is a trust that is called simple. I'm a dumbass. Um, the reason it's called simple is that it must distribute all its earnings every year. So every year, it distributes the earnings to its beneficiaries, as opposed to a complex trust, which can actually be allowed to build up and, and they don't have to distribute every year. So simple distributes every year, complex does not have to. Small cap securities, you won't have to know the numbers, but I'm going to tell it anyway. It's a security that has a market capitalization, which means shares times out the share versus the number of outstanding shares times the stock price of between 300 million and 2 billion. That's small. That's fucking crazy that up to 2 billion is small, but that is a small cap. Your short straddle is when you sell a put and sell a call at the same time. You take the premium in, you're looking for stability, you're looking for neutral, and you're hoping that the stock closes right at the strike prices so the options expire and you keep the premium. As opposed to a long straddle where you buy a call, buy a put, and you're hoping it moves more than the cost of the premium so you can make it back. Short swing, short swing, short swing profit rule is that if you're an insider and you buy share of your company, if you buy shares of your company, you can sell it anytime you want. There's a holding period. But if you sell it for a profit in six months or less, you have to disgorge your profits back to the company. That's all it is. You're not in trouble. You just have to give your profits back. Well, you would be in trouble if you don't do it. But if you if you wait six months in a day, you can keep your profits. If you do six months or less, you have to give your profits back to the company. What's a sinking fund? So a sinking fund is when, when an issuer of a bond sets money aside on a monthly or quarterly basis. So what happens is they use that money to buy back or redeem or call their bonds or debentures or preferred stock. So a sinking fund is when a company, an issuer, puts money aside into like an escrow account and that money is used to pay back or redeem or call the bonds at a future date. Soft dollar, I told you how we get to this. So soft dollar is when a broker dealer provides a service for a customer or an investment advisor or something like that. Now, remember, broker dealers can only get paid for transactions, commissions, markups, fees, only if they do a transaction. So this is kind of a loophole around that. I provide you advice or research, or I provide you software, or I provide you access to a seminar, and now you owe me. Hey, hey you owe me, okay? When I come for a favor, you have to pay me. Oh, that's a bad godfather. Now, I'm going to stop it now. Hopefully, I'll delete that. Who knows if I will. If I do that for you, you now owe me money. In my mind, you owe me 15, 20 grand. So what I'm going to do is if I normally charge you a penny a share to actually do trades, I will jack it up to two cents a share. And then as you give me transactions or reports, I'm going to charge you two cents a share. One penny of that goes to what you owe me. The other penny goes into my pocket as profit. So that's soft dollar. It's like a way around the not paying me for advice stuff and research. Because as a broker dealer, I actually can't sell 
research to you. I have to give it to you and then hope you give me business. So this is how we find our way around it. What's the solicitor? A solicitor is a person or a human being, whatever, that's job, it's either an employee or a contracted by the by the advisor to find clients from for the advisor. If it's a firm, they have to create an IA, they register on the state level, they create an IA, they have their own brochure, and when they go to a customer, they have to give their brochure and the investment advisor's brochure that they're doing. If it's an employee, like a, an individual, it's an IAR who just finds clients. I definitely had a few of them where they didn't work full time. Remember, the regulators do not care how you're employed. Remember that. They can try to trick you. They don't care how you're employed. As long as you're registered, if you're doing registered activities, they don't care if you're 1099, W-2 intern. If you're doing activities that require registration, they just want you registered. So this way, you know the rules and they have jurisdiction. So again, a solicitor is someone who finds clients for an investment advisor, and they would register on the state level only, not the SEC, because the SEC does not believe soliciting is giving personal securities advice. So solvency and insolvency. Solvency is you have enough money to stay around, right? You have enough money. Insolvency, you don't, and you're pretty much bankrupt. Sole proprietorship, it's hard to explain this one. It's when you kind of incorporate yourself, but there's no protections. You're just creating your business. You don't even have to fill anything out. It's free, it's cheap, and it kind of just makes it so you can take deductions and stuff, but you have no limited, there's no corporate protection for you. If you have, if they come after you, they can come after you personally. So it's the great that you have, you have no bosses, you don't have to share the commissions or profits or anything. But again, it's only you and it dies when you die. What's sovereign debt? That's literally just bonds issued by other other countries other than the US. A specialized or sector fund is literally just a bond that is focused mostly on a specific industry or sector or something like that. Specially designated nationals, the SDN list. Every customer that comes in, every person that works for you has to be run through that system to make sure that they're not a terrorist or other criminals, basically, or, other, or they're in charge of other countries where we're not okay with them, okay? So that's what would be a special designated nationals list. And that's where it's all, we report their names on OFAC and they tell us whether they're a problem or not. I literally, every time we had a customer or somebody come in, I had to run their list on OFAC. It's fun, it's interesting. A special situation fund is like a fund that only invests when like takeovers, bankruptcies, mergers, stuff like that, like one-off things. They just to get a quick buck. Special memorandum account or other one known as an SMA is like your excess equity. It's not exactly, it's when it starts that way, but when the stock drops, you lose some of your excess equity, but your SMA stays the same. Don't worry about it. You should know this by now. SMA is basically what you can borrow from the from the firm as your excess equity. It's the amount of equity you have pretty much over the rate team minimum. And you can borrow that and withdraw it. You can either borrow it and you can take it out like a credit line, or you can use it to buy more shares. A special tax bond is literally just a bond that is specific that is, it's limited to a specific tax source where they get the money from. That's it. It's not that hard. Speculation is when you take on risky behavior. You're taking on above average risk. Like when you buy a call or buy a put or you buy small caps or penny stocks, that's considered speculation. It's high risk. How about a spousal IRA? That's an IRA. So if you have a job and your husband or wife doesn't work, you, as long as you have enough income, you can open an IRA for your husband or wife, your spouse, and put money into it as long as you have enough income for both. So you, if you're both under 50, you can put in 6,500 for you and 6,500 for them. Now, it's in her name or his name. So that's fine. It's just you're putting it in for them because you have enough income. What's the spread? Okay. The spread is the difference between the bid and the ask, right? So if I'm bidding 42 and I'm offering a 42.50, the spread is 50 cents. Not brain charge.
The S&P 500 is one of the more broad indexes. It covers a wide variety of industrials, financials, utilities, transportation. It's 500 securities. And it's, it's, it's the index most people use. The VIX is based on it. And usually when people talk about what's going on, they look at the S&P 500. Yeah, people look at the Dow on TV. They mark it's up 50 points or whatever. But the Dow is really just 30 stocks, right? The Dow 30, it's 30 of the biggest companies in the world pretty much. So it's not a true indicator. The S&P 500 is a better indicator. Now, the Wilshire is like the whole market. It's like the broadest. But the S&P 500 is the one most people use. So what's a standby underwriting? Well, you have to go back a little bit. So if I do a... And a, not a secondary, but an additional offering. I'm issuing more shares. I'm going to issue rights to my current shareholders so they have a chance to not be diluted. Well, they have to subscribe to the rights if they want to buy the shares. But if they don't, I have a standby underwriter who's on a firm commitment basis, will buy all the unsubscribed shares or rights to then sell them to the public for me. But that's a firm commitment. So if I do it, if I have a standby underwriter and I do a secondary, I mean, a, not a secondary, a additional offering, I make that up. Um, they are I'm guaranteed to sell the shares because that standby underwriter will buy them and then take them to the public. Standard deviation, literally just risk. It's volatility. High standard deviation is very risky, very volatile. Low standard deviation is not. So what, do, what does it mean when it's a standardized contract or standardized option, right? So that means they're traded on exchange. They have specific things like the strike price, um, the delivery month, the amount of contracts in each, amount of either commodities or shares in each contract delivery month, stuff like that, everything standardized other than the cost and the premium. Statement, that's literally a list of all your securities in your account, and it's quarterly. There's no, here's what, so this is where people get screwed up. The only rule that the um, FINRA has for statements is quarterly, quarterly. Everyone thinks if there's activity, it's monthly, but that's not a FINRA thing. That's a firm thing. All the firms do it, but the firms, there's no requirement other than penny stocks for them to do monthly statements, but all the firms do it if there's activity, they do monthly. If there's not, they do quarterly. But FINRA doesn't care. They say as long as it's quarterly, you're fine. Statutory disqualification, SD. That's if you're basically you can't work for a certain amount of years. So if you can, if you are charged, not charged, convicted with a felony in the pre, in the previous 10 years, you are statutory disqualified. You cannot work for 10 years. If you're convicted, remember, convicted, adjudicated, um, pled guilty, no low contendery, all those things, if you are guilty and convicted, you are of a either any felony or any ethics or taking of money or bribery misdemeanor or securities misdemeanor, you are out for 10 years. Now, you can ask for a eligibility hearing and have them let you back in. And then the firm just agrees to pay a fee every year and watch you harder. But you can get in somehow. But statutory disqualification pretty much means you can't work during that time. And it's only 10 years unless you're really an asshole. Statutory voting. Okay, so we can vote two ways. We can do cumulative or statutory. Statutory means if there's three board seats, okay, if there's three board seats and you have 100 chairs, you have 100 votes per board seat and you can't fuck with it, okay? That's statutory, okay? Cumulative means the same thing. Three board seats, you have 100 chairs, you have 300 votes to use any way you want. You can put 300 on this person, none on these. So that's cumulative actually doesn't give you more votes, but it gives you more voting power because you're going to load it up onto one person, Okay. So one seat or whatever it is. So statutory, it's it's basically one, 100, 100, 100. Cumulative, you can use 200 here and 100 here. You can do whatever you want. Static content is when you post something as an advertising or something on social media, and it really can only be changed by the author, okay? Now, the other one is, I can't think, static and, I couldn't think of the word, interactive, okay? Static means it's only going to be, um, it can only be changed by the author. 
and it doesn't really get changed. Interactive means it can actually be changed by third party. So static needs pre written pre-approval. Interactive does not. A stock dividend is when a company issues shares of, a, of the company versus cash. So if you get like, say you have 100 shares at 50 and they announce a 10% stock dividend, it's not taxable. You actually get 10% more. So now you have 110 shares and the price is now 45.45. So there's no there's no advantage. It's a zero sum game. You're not getting your, your total value doesn't change. But now you have 110 shares versus 100, but it's a little cheaper. So stock dividend is when they pay out in stock versus cash. So a very large stock dividend. So if a stock dividend is more than 25%, it's considered a stock split. And a do we all know when we read about it, you see a stock split, you have 100 shares at 50, they just cut it in half, and now you have 200 shares at 25. You should know this. I have videos for this. So a stock split is like a marketing tool to make, to make the stock look more attractive. So if it's a $2,000 stock, Maybe they go, God, nobody's going to buy it. So they're going to do a five for one split. So now for everyone who owned 100 shares, they now have 500, but it's only $400. But again, the value doesn't change. Stop order is when the administrator or the SEC effectively stop the sale of a security because there's something wrong. Street name. So street name is basically just, God, I say that word, is when you buy shares and it's held in the name of the broker dealer. You're the beneficial owner. But it's held in the name of the broker dealer to make it easier to settle and stuff like that. They're starting to move more toward the DRS, the direct registration system, which is still electronic, but allows for freely transferred securities, but it's in your name. A subordinated debenture is a bond. Debenture means unsecured. Subordinate means it's after the other debt. It's like the last thing paid before preferred. Now, I don't know if mezzanine, I think mezzanine actually falls below that. Mezzanine debt, it's not an S, but I'm throwing it out there, is debt that's right, basically, it turns into equity when they go bankrupt. So it's the, it's the last thing paid before preferred. A successor firm, a success, a successor firm is when one firm takes over another, it's what's left over after. That's a successor. Shareholders or stockholders equity is net worth. It's total assets minus total liabilities. That's really what it is. Probably not tested a lot, but stopping stock is when if you put in a customer order down to the stock exchange, the DMM or the specialist can tell the customer, listen, I'm going to guarantee you a price. You can say it's trading at 50 and the customer wanted to buy it at 51. The, the specialist doesn't want to trade at 51 yet. So they'll say to you, listen, we'll guarantee you 50. Go try to do better. And if you can't, then I'll just sell it to you at 50. So stopping stop is when stopping stock uh, is when a specialist guarantees a price to a customer. And then the customer can actually try to do a, get a better price. And if they can't, they're guaranteed to get that price from the specialist. So there's no harm, no foul on that. So straight life annuity, different types of annuity. Straight life is literally, you know what an annuity is. You should know that you're going to get paid out for life. So what happens, straight life means it's only going to pay you until you die, okay? It's not joint with a survivor, which pays when you and your spouse die or joint um, or period certain where it pays for a certain number of years. It's literally the highest payout choice. So you start annuitizing. If you trip and you hit your head on, a, on the brick wall or you hit by a safe as you walk out of the office, they literally make one payment and keep the rest. That's the highest payout choice, the highest monthly payout, because it's the most risky for you. Although you're dead, so you don't really care. But the point is, again, it only pays until you die and then it stops. Straight line amortization or accretion is basic depreciation, amortization, accretion, all that stuff is where you're taking, let's go through this. So let's say you have a, say you, let's talk about depreciation instead of amortization and accretion. So if you have a, a like a truck, say a $50,000 truck and it's for your business, you get to depreciate it each year and write off that taxes, but you're going to do it in a straight line manner, meaning that let's say it's worth 50 grand and the 
IRS says it has a 10-year lifespan. So you're going to take 50 grand divided by 10. That gives you five grand. That means you get to reduce the price of the truck on your assets by five grand a year. And you get to write off that five grand. So it's like a loss without losing anything. It's an awesome write-off. Okay. So again, straight line is using the same amount of money every year. There's accelerated where they take out more in the beginning. Like maybe you take out eight grand in the first five years and then the last five, they'll just spread the four grand left, the five grand, whatever is left. So the point is straight line depreciation means you're taking the same amount every year as a depreciation accelerated, which is not straight line means you're taking more each year. So maybe again, you take out eight grand a year for five years, that's 40 grand. And then the last five years, you just do 2000 a year because that's all you have left is a 50 grand. It's a way of writing off the cost of a asset. Okay, strip is where you're going after you pass, right? Uh -huh, I'm just going to get canceled for that. Um, a strip is a long-term zero coupon by the government, okay? So it's so it's like up to 30 years, you buy it like two, 300 bucks. And, and in 15, 18, 20 years, you get... Um, you will get what do you call it? You'll get the par value of a thousand. You get nothing during the life of it. Part of the problem is since it's an OID, you must accrete every year, which means if it's not in a retirement account or some sort of account that's tax deferred, you're going to be paying taxes, what they call phantom income, on that money every year, even though you're not getting any of it. Okay. That's a strip. Long term zero coupon. And by the way, Finner and the regulators love it for college savings. Keep that in mind. So supply and economic theory is the available goods or products to be bought. Demand is the demand to buy them. Okay. So now supply side theory is an economic, I think it was Friedman who did it, believes that you give advantages to the corporations, tax tax breaks and stuff like that to the corporations. And then they what happen is they will they will be more willing to invest in the mar in, in, in corporations and facilities and equipment and hopefully that'll create more jobs. So again, supply side theory believes that if you give tax breaks and incentives to corporations, they will hire more people. Then there's also support and resistance. Support, if you have a chart, like a, uh, if you're a technical trader, say a stock trades between a range, like, hold on. Let's say the stock is trading in a range between 50 and 60. So what happens? Let's do it. It's down, it goes up, down. It keeps bouncing off these things. So I'm going to do both. Support is like the floor where it keeps bouncing off. It's not a rule. It can break through, but it's likely not to. So this is support right here at the bottom. And then resistance is the top. That's kind of what it is. So support is for a technical term where it's at the bottom where to keep dropping off. And it can go through support. Trust me, it happens. Okay, strike price or exercise price is the price on an option that you either buy or even a right or a warrant or a derivative. It's where you buy or sell. So if you have a call, if you have a strike price of 50 on a call, that's where you get to buy it at 50. It's also called an exercise price, okay? If you have a 50 put, that's right where you get to sell it. Structured products, okay, structured products are like debt that have derivatives attached to them to replicate equity, okay? So in reality, ETN is a structured product. It's a debt that replicates equity. Okay, there's different types of quotes, like a firm quote. Always assume quotes are firm, right? But then they have subject, nominal. So subject quote means, hey, I'm going to buy stock at 42, subject to conditions, which means if you come at me with a bunch of bonds, I might be willing to buy it. If you have you know, not a lot of bonds, I may be required to buy less or more or whatever it is. So subject quote is not a legally binding quote. I'm going to say, listen, I'll bid you 50 for, you know, 200 bonds subject. That means if shit changes, I may change my mind. But you can kind of count on that being around where we're going to buy it. I think I touched on this already. Subordinate means it's below. So it gets paid less. I think I did this already, but it's good to hear it a second time. A subordinate means it's below the senior. <laughs> Subscription agreement. 
is when you join a limited partnership as a limited partner, you will sign a subscription agreement and the GP overnight has to approve it to let you. SARS or suspicious activity report. God, I just can't see through the list is coming back. All these S's. Suspicious activity report is a report has to, filed by a financial institution when you think there's some sort of fraud or something going on of more than five grand. There are other exceptions, but more than five grand. Insider trading does it. Any kind of monetary fraud you think is happening over five grand and you file the SARS and you have 30 days to do it. There's a couple of rules on this. One, you can't. You have to have a clear chain of command who can, who can know, who cannot know. You can't tell everyone about it. And unlike a CTR, so a SARS, you're basically putting this person's head face in the crosshairs of the federal government, maybe, as opposed to a CTR, country transaction report, is when you have cash or cash equivalents of 10 grand or more going in or out, you just report it. Those hundred thousands, probably thousands and thousands every day. Like a swap, like a bond swap is like when you sell one bond to buy another and you switch out of it, you're swapping out one for the other. And you're either, you're looking for a better maturity, a more secure, better income, stuff like that. What's a syndicate? A syndicate is a group, group of investment bankers that will help you help underwrite and distribute a security as through an IPO or an additional offering. Okay, last one. Systematic risk is a risk that, um, like, the whole, it's a market risk. You can't diversify it away. It's like there's nothing you can do about it, really. I mean, you can hedge, but you can't diversify it away. It's like market risk, okay? So if the whole market crashes, it's like, think of this system, systematic as a system, the whole system crashing, as opposed to non-systematic risk, which is like business risk, you can diversify that away. So systematic risk is non-diversifiable. Non-systematic is diversifiable. Yeesh, okay. There we go. Guys, that's it. All the S's. I thought it would take a lot longer, but I guess it didn't. Next up is the T's, baby. Um, don't forget to check me out every Tuesday and Thursday night live on YouTube.